0: My name is Matt Baker, and we're a two-man show tonight. I'm here with Santiago Beltron, as we have uh, just seen or just followed the last Coachella Valley Invitational matchup that City has, three-three uh, tie. We'll get into that, but first, Santi, how's it going? Great, Matt. Doing
1: great. Uh, the beginning of the season, exciting things happening in St.
0: Louis. It's kind of scary how close it is, right? I mean, we've built this long. uh, Preseason seems like it's kind of started to drag on a little bit. And we're 10 days out from from when we're recording this.
1: It's crazy. I was talking to somebody today. And uh, we have been waiting for this for the last three years. We're finally almost there.
0: Yeah, I know. Um, I, I, I guess... It's starting to get more real. I've been doing a countdown on Twitter that kind of has some fun with the player names and numbers. Oh, I I love that! By the way, well, I heard from uh, I heard from a few people that, and my goal in a lot of what I do is to like I try to get people excited, but also educate from what I know because I want everybody to know as much about the players, know as much about the team, and kind of just buy in as much as possible. And so I've been uh, enjoying finding the like the three or four little nuggets that that really pop out about people that are nice to know in, uh, the short form that Twitter lets me do that. So I'm, I'm actually getting ready to go on vacation and keeping up with that is, uh, it's not like weighing on me or anything, but it's one of those things. It's like, okay, I like doing this. And so I got to make sure I, I'm going to have internet. So I got to make sure I can still do that up until the first match because at the, at the tail end of the trip, my trip, uh, I'll be at that match thankfully and and luckily enough. So it's, uh, it it's almost into the single digits by the time this comes out it will be in the single digits and um we'll start to get some more fun guys in there on that countdown
1: yeah yeah it's so exciting single digits is starting tomorrow so the season is basically here
0: yeah and it's been a i would say it's been a pretty good preseason um you know obviously we haven't been able to see any actual matches Thanks to Apple, which was an interesting confirmation. So before we actually go into the preseason, I found it kind of interesting how MLS clubs were kind of um, tiptoeing around the fact that they could, they knew, they kind of let people know we can't stream this, but very few kind of overtly said what the reasoning was, and then i think it was in between florida and, and california for city it kind of came out through the chicago fire twitter account uh, that i saw where they just let it let it all lay out that it was an apple mandate that they couldn't show any streams at all not even club sponsored club produced and from from what i had heard it was just a league thing and it was really interesting that we started to see a little finger pointing going on back to apple which is unfortunate
1: So do you think it's both like the league and Apple or or more like an Apple mandate?
0: Is there a difference at this point between the league and Apple? I mean, that's a pretty tight partnership that they have built up. Yeah. Yeah. Because what I have heard was the
1: league. But yeah, when when Chicago Fire admin started pointing fingers at Apple, that was like new information.
0: (laughs) And it's interesting because preseason has been going on before the Apple deal. So it's not like apple said you know we're not ready to air this on our platform so you can't air it at all because i i heard from the club that there were attempts at least from not just our club but other clubs and their fans were hearing there were attempts by the teams to stand something up but like mm-hmm. you said the league shot them down and said no you can't do that so if since preseason matches happened before mls season pass started some are still ongoing after the service launched it just seemed like Apple may Apple or the, and or the league may have just said, you know what, we're we're not there yet. We're launching live matches on the 25th. That's what we're t- focusing on. We're building our infrastructure to that. And I guess we're left to hope for next year as far as preseason goes. Yeah, hopefully
1: next year they'll do something. Maybe it won't be every match, but it'd be great to see at least one or two games like, um, And I don't know, maybe we're too nerdy, but it's always like when you see the lineups on social media and you see what's happening, it's not the same. Like, you want to see the positioning and and what the guys are doing. Like, uh, it's it's not the same. And
0: um, we're going to be able to see until uh, the 25th. And I liken it to baseball because to me, baseball, Major League Baseball has it down pat as as well as any other league for preseason. The NFL does well with their, you know, you know, every match like is random nights Thursday through sa- Sunday. And it's just kind of a free for all in those weeks. But baseball, it really just seems like it's more of an event spring training. Um, maybe it's because in St. Louis it's covered so dang well and you really get that sense of buildup. You get that sense of excitement about a new season and it starts with preseason. Whereas with MLS, historically, even up till now, uh, and even with City starting, all the hype that exists for City, you don't get a sense of that excitement about the on-field product that's kind of permeating as deep as it can, in my opinion, because of that lack of exposure. And knowing that it's the league or Apple that's kind of behind that is disheartening. Um, but it's one of those things that because it's a 10-year deal, I do have hopes and expectations that it starts to shift, and we get to see more of a focus and excitement that begins with the preseason.
1: Yeah, and I think now that Apple has all the broadcasting teams in place, um, maybe they'll be able to set up something for for next year. Maybe some type of even like some type of a tournament or something like that. Right. um, That doesn't require the broadcasting team to be in multiple places uh, but hopefully we'll see something
0: well and with baseball you know it works pretty well because there are two centralized locations you get arizona and florida the same thing kind of exists with mls it's not as structured but you do have some of these hubs that have popped up between florida and california so if you put more focus on centralized locations it makes the broadcasting it makes the infrastructure easy to roll out for sure for sure but regardless you know there were matches we had varying levels of access to those matches whether it was a a blog from an opposing team whether it was uh uh, tweets from our own club reporters who were on site for some of these matches so let's run it down let's let's give a little recap because i think this is one of our if not our final flyover that because you and phil and Stu may do an episode leading into austin but you know this may be our opportunity to kind of recap a lot of things on how we got to this point where we are and what this preseason's really looked like so so let's start it off with uh the first match so the first match was supposed to be charlotte didn't happen uh, for some of the most tragic circumstances imaginable but the match that actually started it all for city is philadelphia union so january 24th we played philadelphia and to me this was kind of more or less mixing, matching. We really saw some of the earliest iterations of our lineup. Um, so we, as fans, really had no idea what we we're going to expect. We had we've we've talked for months about potential lineups. You know, we expect uh, Klaus luvin and Berkey to be in the lineup as our DPS and highest-paid players. We had had some expectations about Nilson. You see Parker, but overall, you know, it's coach's decision. We haven't had a lot of visibility into training, so we don't know who might have been stepping up. Um, the starting 11 that they went with against the Union was Berkey in net, Selmer Pedro, Josh Yarrow, Tim Parker, and Owen O'Malley on the back line, Edward Leuven, Miguel Perez in the midfield with Isak Jensen, Indy Vasilev, Rasmus Alm, and Klaus up front. Some, some, I guess, semblance of what ends ended up, uh, at least against New York City, in that early match, but... When you see that, when you see guys like Owen O'Malley and Miguel Perez, especially, break into that initial starting lineup, what do you, what's kind of running through your mind?
1: Well, at that point, I thought it's still early in preseason, and they are trying to to mix up the groups and and see who kind of step up. Uh, but I I didn't really think about oh, this is like these eleven guys. Are the ones with highest chances of making the starting eleven at this point? Eh? At that point, I was like, "No, it's preseason, mixing it up, and want to see different looks um, from different groupings of players." Uh, obviously, seeing Miguel Perez with with Louven, and uh, I think that was something I was really excited. First, because uh, Miguel Perez is not signed with the team yet, mm-hmm. at least officially. We know right. he he has. We know he has a number. He's number twenty eight. Same number he had at CD two, But uh, that was exciting to see him um, in that first starting 11. Uh, and then you you had um, like the other thing, like thinking, OK, um, Nielsen is not going to be with the team until May uh, at the earliest. So you're thinking, OK, there is a competition for that uh, starting center back position. And the first person to fill that role um, was George Jarrow. In partnership with team parker so i was like oh maybe yarrow has a chance but that has shifted a little bit uh, and when we talk about the other games and um, we can see that uh it it's to me it looks like kyle huber may have that role um, but it was exciting to to see a, a mix of players in that lineup and i know the team didn't care much about the result but seeing that the the team uh, held its own against Philadelphia Union, which is um, one of the top teams in in the league, and uh, made the MLS Cup last year. It was good to see, and and I know the team. For the team, the results are secondary, and and Carnell said that uh, at one of the media availabilities. But seeing that they held their own and and fought and played a play physical against a very physical Philadelphia team, uh, that was a a good first uh, test for for the team and for these lineups
0: and i don't think you can really undersell the opponent either because yeah first match in preseason it was not philadelphia's first match they had just beaten austin uh coming into that match for us so they they had a little bit more experience together in uh match play for the preseason and yeah they did a lot of the rotation that that we did but you still had kai wagner out there you still had daniel gazdag out there they're they they put some quality players some of the best players in the league against us and we held our own early so yes the result definitely doesn't matter to the extent because it's preseason but at the same time you don't want to start off preseason losing four to nothing defending eastern conference champions are not like that's just not the not the the par you want to set for your team not the bar it's not uh it's not where you want to start things off it would it would not be off on the right foot and I think tying them and especially the way we did it where you had Klaus in the first half kind of catch a ball from Ono O'Malley in stride more or less and just blast one home uh that was very nice to see because at that point in preseason you had a lot of I don't want to say doubters about Klaus you just had a lot of question marks I think where he, he's not a known commodity. He's not a known name that came to us. He was our first designated player, so there's obvious expectations. But a lot of people who do know him and have been paying attention really remember back to City 2 last year, and especially the Leverkusen game, where he didn't really perform to the level of a top-tier MLS designated player. Unbeknownst to a lot of people, at the time, he was dealing with a soft tissue injury. So he was not. He was far from 100%. And yeah. that clouded a lot of perception of him going in. So seeing him get the first goal in this way really um, spoke to me well.
1: For sure. It's it's always great to see your number nine, your designated player, um, striker, a score. So um, that's good to see. And it's great to see that his back is uh, healthy and and he's back uh, to to his form. And hopefully he will continue that uh, when the season starts. I, I I think, I have a feeling he's, he's going to surprise the, um, the league and score a lot of goals um, and um, show his value, why he is a designated player.
0: You know, I had... Uh... I like to interact with the extra time guys, uh, Weeby, Goss, uh, Matthew Doyle. And when they did their St. Louis preview, I sent in a question for them and I set the over under for Klaus's goals at 12.5. Because looking back at some of his best years, uh, he had a few double digit goal seasons and those were in leagues that were comparable to MLS. So it seems like, and, you know, it does seem like it may be a bit of. Um, a bit of a overly positive outlook on it potentially because he's a new player to MLS. You really have no idea, but their answers were almost a resounding under of 12 and a half goals. Now they did kind of allude to goals or um, kind of goal creation opportunities as well. Thinking that the way Klaus has been positioned in the system, may be more of a facilitating role creation Mm -hmm. as opposed to just a straight vulture in the box where he's we're just going to feed him and he scores but i thought that was an interesting thing to keep in mind um especially the way that he plays gets in deep and then finds finds some of his teammates in space yeah so
1: maybe if not goals it's going to be double digits
0: uh between goals and
1: contributions um i think he can get there goals and assists yeah i think i think so
0: but so the, the way that we approached that Union game was eye-opening to me also because, um, and I admittedly don't, before this year, follow a lot of MLS clubs and what their st- strategies and approaches are to preseason as far as their lineup changes. Um, I do know that in this, in this preseason, there have been some other teams who have followed our same approach, but our approach for City for those first three matches were wholesale changes at halftime. So the second half lineup was a completely different lineup, um, that saw a lot of, you could kind of see some pairings that in retrospect, um, make sense. And you could kind of, you start to see an evolution, but in that second half, uh, we ran out Ben Lunt, the backline changed to John Nelson, Kyle Hebert, Lucas Bartlett, and Jake Nervinsky, Akil Watts and Azeel Jackson were in the midfield with Jared Stroud, Tomas Ostrak as the attackers. And then... It looked like we kind of ran... We shifted a little bit to a 4-2-2-2 with Nico Joachini and Sam Adeneron up top. And it fit a little bit of what we heard from Nico Joachini of loving to play that 9, 9.5, kind of that underneath role just a little bit. And you see that uh, in some of these other games. But some of these pairings here are going... Like, you could really see them take root. And to me especially, uh, Jared Stroud and Tomas Ostrak. I, I really... Have seen that develop into something that has definitely caught my eye. The way that they started to find each other in uh, in the Galaxy match, where they where they had their goal to start off the game, that kind of a, a relationship and finding each other in space, where you're you're cutting inside from your your wide attacking roles, they seem to really be gelling well together. So from that second half starting eleven, is there anything that like in retrospect especially stood out to you? <laughs>
1: Well, um yeah, definitely that Ostrax trout pair or partnership. Um I'm just looking at the lineups for every game and they have played uh, when when they have been in different halves, uh, they have been together uh, in all those minutes. So that's great to see and, and just from the rest of the lineup, uh, obviously uh our famous uh trialist Lucas Barlett. Um that was a surprise to uh, to see him there. But he'll probably, I have a feeling he will get signed to, to CD too. And maybe he, he will see, um, sometime with, with City. but, um, great to, uh, great to see, uh, what's, um, also in action, um, a seal Jackson, like seeing some guys from, uh, MLS next pro, uh, get in action and getting a chance to, uh, to play with some of these other guys that have more experience was, was also, a. Uh, Good to see in that first preseason game.
0: The thing that really struck me about Azil Jackson is seeing him in that defensive midfield where he's playing that number six, maybe an eight role. And, and then later on, uh, you see him in that position a few times this preseason. Later on, reading the article regarding him and finding out that both him and Indiana Vasilev were more or less moved into that position very intentionally, but you see a need for it with depth. And I think earlier when you were talking about Miguel Perez kind of speaks to that as well, where we foresee Leuven and Blom to be the starters in that kind of six, eight spot, but that's just two players. You know, a Watts is being forecasted as a right back. Uh, Max Schneider is not in camp. Still, we have no idea what's really going on with him. So you're looking at, like an extreme lack of depth unless you use those kinds of players. So I had originally thought Stroud might find his way back there, but he really seems to be, have found himself a home maybe on that left side or on the right side, depending on uh, if he's playing with Ostrock or not. I like the idea of moving Vasilev back because he played there a little bit with Miami. He did not play as far up with him as I originally thought. Um, so a benefit of the MLS season pass is able to go back and watch some of those matches from last year but Jackson in particular where he would had never played that role. So seeing him get some time and, and not really make mistakes it seemed. So we don't really know how, um, how great he performed, but he definitely didn't allow any goals or he didn't, uh, have miscues to the point where it was detrimental to the team. And so that's an extra body, an extra piece of flexibility that we have now.
1: Absolutely. And and when you think about, um, about, about, um, Blom, um, that obviously he arrived to a uh, preseason um, late, and he, I think he will be a starter, but maybe he won't play 90 minutes the first game. And um, some depth will be like if he needs to come out at, um, I don't know, 65th, um, 70th minute, you need, you need a reliable replacement, especially if you're going in the last stretch of the game. And if it is a tight game or, or you are only winning by, by one goal you still need that defensive midfielder so it's great to see the team is um, putting some guys there as uh, trying to see what, what they can provide and um, just um, thinking about that I asked um, I asked Coach Carnell uh, last week I asked him about uh, Basilev playing a defensive midfielder and yep. he he was like well he, he and he kind of didn't really give him a lot of importance. He was like, well, I I don't really like to label players within one position and him playing as a defensive midfielder also will help him. Um, Even if he's playing offense, he's going to have a defensive role. So just seeing experience in that role will also help him with what we want him to do um, in a game. So, so, but I think we may see him... uh, maybe the first few games, but um, it was interesting. And now that you said that he played some time uh, in Miami in that role, maybe it makes more sense uh, because, yeah, to me it was a surprise the first time we we talked about it. I was like, oh, wow, okay, Um, he's in a different position. But it looks like he has a lot of versatility and in this system that's good because you you want to have players that – can play in multiple roles and multiple positions so it's good to see that that he will be able to do that
0: yeah with miami it was it was apparent that he was playing underneath the the right attacking mid so whether they called it an eight or um you know a, in a four two 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 type position you know it just seemed like he was a little further back than than i expected and carnell said that he's he's best suited centrally it sounded like so knowing that he's in that kind of defensive midfield and he might be finding himself more in that pattern where even in the defensive midfield, if he can find himself just outside the box, pushing up and play in that more box to box, that could probably suit him pretty well too. Yeah. So that was the first match. Um, First match quickly into the second match in Florida where they They decided that they were going to do one hundred and twenty minutes just to get people stretched out a little bit more. Um, this was our last match without Blome, I believe. Uh, this this match was played right before he got there. He um, you know, so so we were without him, and this this kind of plays into our our depth with Miguel Perez and uh, some of those other guys who found themselves with a lot of minutes and moving people around into that midfield. But the starting eleven against Miami that we ran out, and this is probably going to sound a little more familiar than you might remember it. Uh, after seeing, you know, what we ran out against Vancouver and what ended up coming in the second half against New York City, but it, even in that second preseason match against Miami, we had Ben Lute in goal, so the keeper isn't a really isn't really up for debate. But John Nelson, Kyle Hebert, Tim Parker, Jake Norwinski on that back line seems pretty uh, pretty memorable. Indy Vasilev joined Edward Leuven in the central midfield with Jared Stroud, Tomas Ostrak in the attacking wings, and Nico Jokini and Klaus up top. So another uh, – it looked to me like a 4-2, 2-2. And Jokini and Klaus on the field at the same time. They got Stroud and Ostrak again there. This was before Blom arrived, so you have Indy Vasilev dropping back with Leuven. And that back four – whether it was intentional or not, even at that moment, that second preseason match, that seems to have really, really held Pat. And that, that to me is one of the John Nelson, especially my goodness, like that uh, reading into John Nelson, you can't help but root for the guy coming off of potential career ending back surgery where his spine was fused and he had a metal rod inserted because of the severe pain that he was in when he was with Dallas. Had to have it done at the end of his career with Dallas. And then Cincinnati drafted him in, uh, or picked him up. In, in. He had just kind of like a career resurgence year with them last year. So what he was able to do last year, much more of an indicator than his previous three years with Dallas. He may be one of our really big, key, important signings. And seeing him on that back line that early – in retrospect especially really speaks to me
1: yeah it's great to see um that he he is really like last year he he played a lot of games with cincinnati and and did well and uh yeah just hearing his story it's great to to see um players that maybe at some point their career looked like um it was going to end it's great to to see that resurgence and seeing seeing them doing well. Um, I'm not sure why Cincinnati made him available on the uh, expansion draft, but yep. the expansion draft is starting to look like really good. Like uh, All these guys are showing uh, great things uh, with the team. Maybe not all of them will be a starters, but uh, they are really
0: adding depth to uh, the team. They're eating a lot of minutes right now, and the only one who's not is because he's recovering from an injury, John Bell. Right. Yeah. right you're seeing joe Akini, you're seeing vasilev nelson and parker for all intents and purposes is was acquired because of the expansion draft so might as well attribute him to it yeah
1: yeah and and parker um we'll probably get into that later but parker i think is gonna be the captain the captain at the
0: end uh, we'll see if, if he had the armband true. again in the the new york city match but yeah, that that's an interesting. Um, Parker just seems like a fun, fun-loving guy with all the the it, the pictures and images that come out with him. Um, just creating an atmosphere that you seem to want to be a part of, and I, that seems to have been going on for the entire preseason. And I remember going back to uh, one of the training camps the, the beginning of this all that first week, and he was already in that role. He seemed at home, joking around, yelling, calling out things. He was a leader on the field, and he was like a friend off the field.
1: Yeah, for sure. I also had a chance to to attend a couple of practices um, after the team came back from Florida. And yeah, I could see the same thing you're saying, like he he was um, all into it, uh, yelling and giving instructions to everybody. So you can see that he's one of those natural leaders for the team.
0: Yeah, and that, that match against Miami started off really well. Indy Vasilev got us off in the first half um, with a 39th-minute free kick goal. Kind of speaking to what we've seen develop where, from what I can see, if a free kick needs taken, if a corner needs taken, it's going to be Luven or it's going to be Vasilev. If both are on the field, then it's whichever angle works best. Uh, but one of those two seems like they're going to be taking those free kicks. What, what do you think on that?
1: Yeah, I I agree with you. We can see those roles um, starting to solidify too. And it was great to um, see, well, Vasilev scoring against his former team, obviously. Oh, yeah. Um, That's always. Good
0: to see, um, but yeah, and he was stoic yeah. afterwards. If if you remember, he he was. They they said very clearly that he uh, the reporters on the ground for Miami were commenting about how he didn't celebrate at all, and he he just went about business as usual. So you wonder if that had to do with the fact that it was so early in preseason, preseason in general, or if it was against his old team.
1: Yeah, yeah. Most most of the players are usually very respectful when they score against their former team. So um, so yeah, it, it was. Good to see that, that he was kind of a stoic about it. But um, just thinking about the game, yeah, 4-0. And um, it's always good to see uh, a lot of goals, but still early in preseason. And I know we talked about, oh, what if it was the other way around? Um, mm-hmm. But it's always good to see uh, that the team is kind of in that progression, getting some goals, um, having a clean sheet. Those things are good to see. Early in the preseason, but but yeah, we started to see what we think uh, will be the starting eleven. I know we're gonna get into those predictions um, towards the end, but you kind of started to see with that lineup. Okay, there are some guys that the coaches may be thinking that these guys have an edge and may make that starting eleven. So it was good to see that even in that second preseason game, um, like probably 60, 70 percent of the starting eleven now were playing together.
0: Yeah. And, and you really saw uh, depth in that second half, which was interesting to me that we scored three goals in the second half because at the well, I say second half, but it was basically three periods that they played so halfway through that second period, after 60 it minutes... Was, it was four. It was four, actually. Oh, four, was it 30 four? Mi- four? 30 minutes. Four 30 minutes. Yeah. Okay. So that makes yeah. more sense that they bl- broke it up with two thirties yeah. and then they subbed off. So after those first two thirties, they ran out with Michael Creek in net, Selmir Pedro, Lucas Bartlett, Josh Yarrow, and Akil Watts uh, back in the game. And then Miguel Perez, Zeal Jackson were in the defensive midfield. <laughs> Isaac Jensen, Celio Pompeu, Rasmus Alm, and Samuel Adeneron were in those attacking positions, so you know that Isak Jensen's a left uh, left mid, Celio Pompeu and Rasmus Almer usually in that right area, but I think Pompeu was more central in this game, and then uh, Deneron. So this seemed like more of a four two three one, and it didn't take long for uh, for Lucas Bartlett of all people to <laughs> find net you know as they said he recovered a corner kick and put it in and i just i just pictured this giant body this giant human being in the box just cleaning up the ball as it's in there so whether it's uh whether it's off his head or off his feet like he was just the big guy who scored the goal and it's great to see from the trialist yeah
1: for sure um he um he has seen a lot of minutes and the scoring uh, i think will also help his, his case um We'll see if it is City 2 or, or mm-hmm. City, but but yeah, it looks like he's contributing to uh, the team.
0: Yeah, and the other goals came from uh, Sam Adeneron after breaking in behind the Miami defense, getting a through ball pass from Isak Jensen, so seeing some of that playmaking abilities from Jensen, and then Celio Pompeu with a PK in the 105th minute, and 4 to nothing win, clean sheet. Uh, a lot of goals scored by some of those, we assume, depth pieces of City, uh, but the other the other interesting thing in that match to me were some of the subs at the end because yeah. two of the players who actually made the trip finally saw action um, are other teenagers. So Caden Glover, first ever homegrown signing for City, 15 years old, entered the game in the 110th minute for Azeel Jackson. And then his fellow 15-year-old academy player, Tyson Pierce, who was fresh off a youth national team camp, came in for Lucas Bartlett in the 115th. So... Perez's second game starting great to see those other two while they were with the, the first team get some minutes in there
1: yeah yeah it's always great to to see uh, the 15 16 year so 16 year olds um, getting uh, time with the team and even if it was only a few minutes they were in camp with the team so that's also great that helps uh, their development and um, yeah we probably won't see and is not sign uh, but even a uh, Glover, we may not see a lot of minutes from him with City this year. Maybe League Cup, Open Cup. Um, yep. He may he may be on the bench in some games and maybe get a cameo at the end in regular season games. But this is a this is a long term project and giving him exposure to um, practicing with with the first team and getting sub minutes, I think is part of um, his development. But I'm sure the team has a plan for him. Uh, He didn't make the trip to um, California. He's training with City, too. So so I think that's part of that plan. But uh, we may see a little bit of him, um, even if it is as a bench role or uh, Leagues Cup, Open Cup, I think we're going to see a little bit of him.
0: And I think that's the that's the beauty about some of this flexibility that exists is you have Caden Glover signed to the team in one of those two dedicated homegrown slots. So they can't be used by any any other player. So it's not like we're sacrificing a first team roster slot for a 15-year-old that we expect to start in 2 years. It's it's use it or lose it essentially from a roster slot perspective and when you've identified a kid that you believe in and you've seen enough of and you want to provide that opportunity you give it to him because now, like you said, he is that depth that we can use. So you get him experience with the first team in camp. He practices with city Two. Maybe he plays the majority of his time with city Two. but at the same time for those fixture congestion times, open cup leagues, cup, whatever we need, he's there. And he can at least provide um, a spot on the bench. If somebody's got some nagging injury, he might not feature, but at least he's a body that can be there.
1: Yeah. So now, you alluded to that we had two homegrown uh, slots do you think we're gonna sign that second homegrown before february 25th
0: i want to say yes i kind of want to go out on a limb and say yes but we're 10 days from from that happening and we're nine days from roster locks happening eight or nine days so it it doesn't it's not a lot of time and we only have one match between now and then we've seen a lot of miguel perez i will say that the amount that we've used him and the amount that he's seen time has pleasantly surprised me and i knew that last year with the academy with city two then with the u21s he's really his stock has really climbed it's clear like you don't have to it, it's not a stretch of the imagination to see him uh climbing over certain other players in our academy system to get to where he is right now. And yes, I'm sure there's a level of um, need that played into that. So by not having Blom, by not having Schneider, you do have a clear-cut need in your central midfield to fill, so to to take some time off. Because some of these, Louvin, Vasilev, anybody, they're not up to 90 minutes yet. It's clear. like You don't want to overextend people early. So bringing in someone who has shown you the ability to play at a high level, he featured against Leverkusen. It just makes sense. So I think that he's earning that spot for sure, but I do think the city needs to, and they obviously are being careful with how they use the remaining roster slots. So there's that one homegrown slot, which you, you can fill it and then it's, then you have your two homegrown dedicated. You can sign as many other homegrowns as you want. So you're not precluded from filling up five or six roster slots with homegrowns, but we don't have five or six roster slots. Uh, Best case scenario from a roster perspective is Lucas Bartlett, our trialist, is signed as either two city two or signed as an injury replacement for Joachim Nilsson. And so MLS roster rules let you, if a player is going to be out or miss six games, you can sign a replacement to fill their roster slot. Now you don't get salary relief for that. So we're still on the hook for Nilsson's TAM level money, but it does provide that extra slot for us. So assuming that is the case or we do some kind of maneuvering to not have bartlett take up an extra slot uh we have two other slots available three other slots assuming that john klein is not getting a city contract which i think at this point is pretty apparent that he'll be with city two he's with city two right now in florida so three slots one homegrown slot if perez takes it then you know you still have some wiggle room you still have opportunities for guys like tyson pierce or looking ahead to the end of the season if you wanted to sign another homegrown potentially looking at an aaron hurd or uh, a jackson delkas type player in our system who are receiving looks from national teams and have some of that hype behind them that still exists you also still have a couple roster slots that you can fill in the july transfer window so you know i'm a fan of it i think that I, I think we should give him a, a good, strong look. And we've talked about having filled guys like Azil Jackson and sliding Indy Vasilev back. Well, Miguel Perez is that midfielder. So whether he's ready now, sees a lot of time with city 2 I'd like to see it happen. What about you? Yeah.
1: yeah, I would like to see it happen too. He has made all that uh, progression with um, the Academy, then with CD two, then with the U21s. Uh, uh this is I, I don't think this will happen, but imagine if um, he signs and ends up playing in the first game. Uh, can you imagine if he is the fir- the the first player to score a goal with the academy and then the first player to score a goal with with the main team?
0: I mean, this, the Cinderella story writes itself. <laughs> that would be awesome
1: yeah that would be awesome but but yeah i think he he earned uh he definitely earned that that opportunity and and hopefully the team will reward him with with a homegrown contract and continue giving him opportunities to develop as a player he is uh 17 right
0: yeah perez is 17
1: yeah so 17 uh still still pretty young and um, he can see some time with CD2 and uh, continue yep. practicing with the main team so so yeah i think it will be exciting uh for me also um i'm a little bit biased um just because uh his uh hispanic heritage and the team um doesn't have a lot in a lot a lot in that front so also exciting to to see uh a player of Hispanic heritage, um, make him uh, the first team.
0: I do have a thought on uh, on Perez, but I don't want to steal the thunder from our NYCFC, so hopefully I remember it when we get to that point. Um, but it's the fact that he did start and play when we had somebody left on the bench who we could have used. So let's, let's save that for NYCFC. But at this point in preseason, we came back to St. Louis for a, a week or so, And the funniest thing was just the sheer uh, temperature change that everybody had to deal with by going from sunny Florida to, at that time, freezing cold St. Louis. You know, it was almost between our own um, weather changes where I remember it was warmer after. I think it was warmer before. And then as soon as they come back, it's freezing. So they trained and they lost a couple players. Not I mean, not from injuries. It's just they they shed uh, Caden Glover over to City 2. They shed Tyson Pierce over to the academy. And the number that we heard is they went to Coachella with 25 players. Um, Notwithstanding those two, Lucas Bartlett did stay with the team. So he's still labeled a trialist, like we said, still hasn't gotten a contract. But he's still with the team, has been with them every step of the way ever since day one. Um, And Miguel Perez made the trip as well. So those two, again, providing that depth. And we also, at that time, at the end of our Florida trip, gained jabulu Blome finally arrived that was the big time was right as we were finishing florida he joined the team um he had his physical uh middle of the week joined the team for a couple of days in florida and then came back to train with him in st louis and joined full team activities at that point along with once we arrived to, to coachella john bell finally recovered enough from his sports hernia surgery to participate in full team activities Obviously, both of those two were a little behind the eight ball when it comes to fitness and readiness with uh, team activities. So that first match against the LA Galaxy at Coachella, City ran out Roman Berkey. They ran out John Nelson, Kyle Hebert, Tim Parker, and Jake Nerwinski on the back line. Sound familiar? Edward yep. Leuven and Miguel Perez in the defensive midfield. They had uh, Tomas Ostrak and Jared Stroud and then Klaus and Azil Jackson. And there's debate. Like I would really love to see that action because it sounds like um, it could have either been a 4-2-2-2, a 4-2-3-1, depending on where Azil Jackson, of all people, wa- were. Um, we know Ostrack and Stroud can both play out wide. We know Ostrack can play in, in the middle. And Azil Jackson has a history of being in that number 10 role. So it's good to see, to me, that was Azil's first opportunity to do, actually play as an attacking mid in these matches, so that was really good to see. Um, other important notes for me are that Ostrock, Stroud, and Klaus were all back together. We had our, our back line that we're used to, and Leuven was there in the middle. And as, the, uh, as, as we alluded to, Miguel Perez getting time with Leuven there in the midfield against the Galaxy was really nice to see.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that is starting 11 um, the going into halftime, it was one, one. So yeah. that is starting 11 um, did well. And uh, we we started to see that back line uh, uh, solidify. But uh, I think um, you may have different, different prediction, but I think that would be the starting back line for um for CDSC on February 25th. Um, and yeah the team lost um, four to one but um, that it's still part of preseason you have to go from the highs to the lows and I think that's
0: that's part of the process. Um, and you kind of want some of those highs and lows, right? You don't want it to seem all sunshine and rainbows. you need some reality check to exist in there but at the same time you want to take some positives away from it, right?
1: yeah absolutely you, you have to 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 learn from from those games and and see some opportunities to to improve so it's also good to to see those lows too um and then um you're, you're probably gonna go into the second half uh lineup but uh mm-hmm. finally uh Blom, um had his first
0: few minutes with the team along with uh bell yeah there, there weren't too many things noteworthy in that first half but to me, it might have been my favorite highlight of the preseason was the goal sequence that we saw from John Nelson playing the ball up left. And if you remember City 2 last year, you remember our fullbacks and our backs pushing high. Like, we saw that regularly. Pedro was a a mainstay near the 18-yard box in the attacking end. And so seeing John Nelson kind of take that role and r- literally run with it, playing the ball up high left, slotting a pass for Ostrock, who – was kind of curving himself out wide to the left receiving it and you got to see a little fancy footwork from Ostrak who was really playing with the ball really kind of taking the 1v1 pulled it back found Nelson who's kind of got that overlapping run towards the inside goal found him and then Nelson very quickly found Stroud who was over on that right hand side for an easy goal and I, I want to see that from, I want to see that in a game, A, uh, that matters, but I would love to see that sequence from uh, an overhead view, from a bird's eye view, because oh, down, yeah, be down on the ground in the corner, it looked good the way that they were showing it. And you got to see so many highlights. You got to see John Nelson making that attacking run. You got to see Ostrock in 1v1, and then you got to see Stroud finish. And the the amount of time that we've seen those three on the field together, you need to know that there's that chemistry, especially on the wing side, from your fullbacks up to your attacking midfielders. If that chemistry is not there, because we play the ball through there a considerable amount of time, that chemistry is not there, we're going to be in trouble.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, We got to see some of that quality from Thomas Ostrak, so that was great to see. And and again, uh, you can see that That pairing with with Stroud, uh, which both of them will probably make the the starting 11, but seems that way. Yeah, but yeah, even though it was a loss, I think the team got
0: some good things out of it too. And that second half. So, second half was definitely a mixed bag. Um, The result obviously got away from us in the second half, but the second half, starting 11, was vastly different, and did I mean there were some some differences? So Selma Pedro was unavailable in this match. Um, he went home for personal reasons, nothing to do with his health or, or fitness. So there's no concern there. But we had Ben Luton goal. We had Akio Watts, and this is my best guess on how our backline because they're really we could have easily done a three right. center back with this. Akio oh, yeah. Watts, Josh Yarrow, John Bell, and Salio Pompeu were our what I believe were our backline. Uh, Blom was in the in the match with Indy Vasilev in the central midfield. Um, Isak Jensen, Rasmus Alm as our wide attackers. And then Sam Adeneron and Nico Joachini up top. Again, with that 4-2, 2-2 type uh, the way I saw it. And in the second half, very quickly, it seemed like the communication, the awareness of everyone's positioning was just a little bit off. So the first half, the Galaxy... Um, tied it on what I what I think looked like a turnover uh, from the counterpress and the Galaxy kind of uh, had numbers, quickly scored. But in the second half, there were a few different things. So one of them was in the 52nd minute. It looked like some miscommunication because we had about three guys on top of each other in our defensive box, uh, including Blome, who gave possession away where he was trying to clear the ball. And that just seemed like it was uh, one of those – too many bodies in one place, trying to clear the ball, and it didn't go where you wanted it to. So uh, Dejan Jovalich scored from the Galaxy to make it 2-1. There was a penalty and a PK to make it 3-1. And then in probably the weirdest goal we've allowed in the preseason, then um, this was posted by the Galaxy's Twitter account. In the 79th minute, there was this turnover that occurred in our where we were attacking and somehow it seemed like a one v none from midfield, where the the person who took the ball over from the Galaxy, uh, just I think it was uh, Ephraim Alvarez, and he just had nobody nobody defending. Uh, Owen O'Malley eventually caught up to him and tried to slide and prevent it, uh, but he was able to get it past Lunt and Galaxy went up four one. So the two two goals that were kind of concerning, not the PK, not the miscommunication, were the fact the city was beat exactly how we've always talked about, they'll get beat sometimes. Uh, they're pressing high, the ball's turned over, they're not able to connect their passes, and they don't have anybody back to defend. So you can't take too much away, I don't think, because we don't specifically know how exactly it happened, but just from the clips that we saw uh, where we took that snippet of time up to the end of the goal... It didn't seem good.
1: Yeah, yeah. And at that point, the game was 3-1. It was towards the, the last part of the game. So the team was probably just trying to uh, create an opportunity to score another goal, to to get closer, probably everybody attacking. But, yeah, you don't want to see the team in that position where you leave a player alone for a counterattack and yeah, uh, you end up uh, allowing another goal. But I'm sure the team will, will – we will look at that and and uh, make sure uh, they put things in place to to avoid that in future games
0: yeah and city had their own chances uh apparently joachini and Isak jensen both had some good opportunities and just couldn't find the back of the net but what struck me were two quotes that carnell gave at the end of that match um the first one kind of speaks to the different ways the goals were scored and he said we struggled to get that second group going in the second half for the first few minutes But towards the end of that game, we had a couple big, big chances which got away from us. We conceded a few set-piece goals and action following from set-pieces, which I pride myself on. And these are moments for us to have a real good reflection and look back at how we can plug up the spots because from a defensive organization standpoint, I thought we were good for many moments of the game. For sure, they're going to stress us and stretch us in many moments. When they get their rhythm going, they're really good at what they do. And when we get our momentum going, we're really good at what we do. So that speaks to me about how... They ha- and we know that they have specific drills, specific time they spent on some of their corners and, and defending against corners. But knowing that um, they have more or less a, a good track record in open play has to be at least a little bit heartening when you're looking even at a four-one loss. Absolutely. So the next match was a little more boring, but uh, I think we got to see a little, from a nerdy perspective, a little excitement. Um, Vancouver, 0-0 tie. We started to see, again, that starting 11 potentially come into into sight, into vision, into clarity. So Berkey and Nett, John Nelson, Kyle Hebert, Tim Parker, Jake Nierwinski on the back line, Leuven and Blom with his first start in the defensive midfield, Jared Stroud, Tomas Ostrock, and Rasmus Alm and then Klaus up top. So Alm getting in there uh, with Ostrock and Stroud, Blom seeing time with Leuven, those are the things that stuck out with me. Um, And this was also the first time where this group got to go into the second half.
1: Yeah, yeah, they made it to, um, I think it was almost 75 minutes. All but Blom, yeah. um, Yeah. Blom came into uh, it came out on the 58 minute for um, in the basilev. but yeah, uh, great to see uh, the group uh, playing um, more than 70 minutes together and uh, also uh, even though the team couldn't score at the same time a uh, clean sheet, which is al- also a good thing um, always, especially when you're getting close to uh, the end of the preseason. Um, but yeah, we started to see that starting 11 and obviously uh, the anticipated uh, debut in the starting 11 for, for Blom, um, it, was, it was good to see that. It will be interesting to to see how the team lines up um, on Saturday when when they play against Atlanta
0: United. Yeah, and the, the big takeaway that I had on that is that Indy Vasilev was the one to come in for Blom um, in the 58th minute. So knowing how he's been positioned, how we've talked about his role in the lead up to this match, he really seems to be he seems to be on the outside looking at a little bit from where we're we're projecting it. But at the same time, he is that uh, 12th man, so to speak, next guy up and his versatility kind of lends itself really well. And what Carnell has been playing him defensive midfield uh, just only highlights that because he can come in for, if you're looking at that as a potential starting 11, he can come in for any of Blom or Leuven or Stroud, Ostrak, or Alm. And if he comes in for any of those, it kind of allows everybody to shift as they need to. So he's more or less a super sub to me if he's not in that starting 11. But also, if you ever have an injury, if you ever have a red card or yellow card accumulation um, he's an easy slot in to plug that gap, make sure you're not losing any, um, any of your quality in that starting 11. So I think a guy like Vasilev is going to be invaluable to this club. And I say that not just because he's wearing my favorite number, but, uh, but, but, but I really mean it. And, <laughs> and I think, so there's a couple notes that I want to throw out here from, um, Eric Friedlander, who is, a one of the guys from Once a Metro, the New York Red Bulls, SB Nation. Um, he's at efried97 on Twitter. He was there and he called what we ran out there four two three one. So that's why I listed uh, um, I, I listed Stroud, Ostrock, and Alm as more of our attacking mids with Klaus up top. He he called it as a four two three one, and he said that early on, City was still a team trying to figure out their pressing cues. Um, he called Klaus interesting to watch who was playing as a striker, but also dropping off of his line a little to search for the ball in space, which is kind of what we knew he would be doing that creative, um, creative outlet there in, in the number nine role. And then just calling how city was dominating in the first half. So we didn't have any goals, but possession while we were, had our core 11, uh, the stamina was still strong in the first half he said we were pressing and vancouver had nothing but then it kind of started to turn a little bit as the second half started vancouver made some subs we didn't and they started to be able to find themselves a little more on the attacking foot and city was he didn't say gassed but he just said the final ball wasn't working um and it just seemed like vancouver had a little bit more of an engine there in the second half um he called he called blome the the clear six louve the clear eight and noted that Kyle Hebert did not seem out of pace at all at the back, and Jared Stroud was very active on the left wing, seemed to be fitting in very well with the St. Louis system.
1: Yeah, so um, obviously another another test um, for the team, and as I said, good to uh, keep that clean sheet and um, to see what, uh, what seems to be uh, that... Um, that bench I, I don't know what to call it but uh, basically not your starting 11 but the guys that will be on the bench and will be options and see what what they can do and what they, and they can do and and um, you can see a competition for, for some roles and we're gonna talk about that uh, mm-hmm. soon um, but yeah you're starting to see your starting 11 and and see what the uh, that second group of players can can give you in terms of of
0: depth and options uh, during the game. And we definitely saw that second group against NYCFC today um, in what ended as a 3-3 tie, the starting 11, which allowed, I think, us to get uh, the rest of the players stretched out. So as opposed to just straight up extending the presumed starting 11 um, out to upwards of 90, When we have one more preseason match left, don't discount Atlanta and St. Louis, because I think that's going to be invaluable for that last push for who we want to start against Austin. Uh, This match against NYCFC today had Luntin Net, Pedro, Bartlett, Yarrow, and O'Malley on our back line. Akil Watts saw some time in the midfield with Miguel Perez. Uh, Isaac Jensen, Indy Vasilev, Celio Pompeu, and Nico Joachini in what really looked like a 4-2-3-1. You had the clear idea of Vassilov playing centrally. You had Pompeo out wide right, Jensen wide left. And knowing that Owen O'Malley is slotted more as a right back, um, Akil Watts kind of provided that depth that we saw him excel at last year uh, with City 2 in the central midfield. And it didn't take time for Akil Watts to really say, uh, remember me <laughs> from last year. I, I can't tell you how many times I just have these vivid memories of Akhil Watts blasting a ball from just outside the 18 and finding net from that central defensive midfield position. He would push up high in that uh, number eight role and and often find net. He led the league at one point in goals outside the 18. And the screenshot this city put for his first goal in the 11th minute. I didn't see the 18-yard box in that screenshot at all. That picture had midfield, and it had Akil Watts shooting the ball, <laughs> just like old times with City Two last year.
1: Yeah, yeah, just showing uh, some of those goals and uh, long-distance um, shots that that he can he can make, uh, showing that quality again. So it's good to see that that from him and um, showing that he could be a reliable option uh in midfield too
0: yeah and one of the things with uh with nycfc so this was not this this was i don't want to call them the 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 second squad for city or or all of the depth pieces but it it clearly seemed like they were stretching out the guys who didn't get stretched out against vancouver yeah. however you want to view that uh but as far as the fact that we were up two to nothing at one point um and then eventually came back to tie it against NYCFC who is a perennial contender in MLS and and in preseason it's always important to kind of look at their starters so there yeah. was a there was a question that that was asked on Twitter about you know how does this NYCFC lineup stack up and while being far from familiar with the uh, intricacies of their lineup you could see at least 6 to 8 players who are going to be in their opening day starting lineup. Uh, I saw Martins, Gray, Morales, Hawk, Parks, um, Magno, and well, Andre. And, and so all of those players, except for Bar, their striker perhaps, I think could see time on their opening day roster. And we were able to take that team to the limit, uh, just like we did Philadelphia in the first game. So it was a kind of a nice bookend to these two preseason trips from florida and california that we were able to take nycfc that far uh and you know some might say we should have pulled out the win but at least we saved a tie with Leuven's goal there at the very end so we had a we had a vasilev pk in there in the first half and then uh substitutions occurred we ended up getting uh azil jackson michael creek and uh Jabulu in we ended up Almost at the very end of the game until Leuven dribbled into the box himself and scored the right corner. So we saw a little bit of uh, substitutions occur there in the second half. We saw a fight. So it was a nice thing to really see City come back and fight from losing their lead, losing, uh, going goalless for quite a while. And then by the end of the game, they were able to gut out a tie. That's the kind of thing you're going to need to save a point uh, save a point on the road. That's the kind of thing that can keep you in a playoff race. So knowing that city had to fight through that and they know that if that's in them at this point, I think is going to do a world of good for their mindset.
1: Absolutely. The only thing, uh, one thing I wanted to call out, I was looking at uh, the recap uh, from NYCFC, and um, just uh, on the goals uh, that New York scored. Um, okay. The first one um, was, um, from a set piece, the yep. second one uh, on a corner kick. So just just some things to to keep an eye, to keep an eye on, and I'm sure the coaches will be all over this and know they know that um, the team will have to improve uh, in situations like a corner kick set pieces. But uh, it just uh, caught my attention that those two goals. Uh, were uh, in those circumstances and and it was the same he was the same guy at uh, Thiago Martin so um, yep. I'm sure the team will look at that and and uh, take some corrective actions too for for future matches
0: yeah Martin's is one of those guys who is a clear-cut starter, one of the best in MLS, and you can't give that guy an opportunity. We want Leuven to be that kind of guy where he's built himself that reputation. And that is definitely going to be an interesting storyline to watch going into the season is how many corner kicks do we give up? How many fouls do we make uh, in our defensive end that cause free kicks? And are we going to continue to see that level of success against us in in – from those, uh, from those styles. So knowing that uh, we're kind of seeing a little bit of who could potentially be in our starting 11, I think that's important because those groups are going to gel when it comes to defending against those set pieces. You got to have familiarity. You have to have um, communication and teamwork and knowing where players are going to be if you want to be successful in defending from either a corner or a free kick. So... We have Atlanta coming up on Saturday. We have just that final preseason match, and then full attention turns with a full week of rest and preparation before Austin. I think it's time to get into where our roster sits now, and then what our starting 11 looks like with that roster. So... I'll let you start it off, Santi, and I'll let you take it wherever you want to go. If you want to start with who you think is going to be our starting 11, some notes you might have on our roster as it's constructed now, knowing I think that the biggest, the biggest things to keep in mind from who's not on our roster for consideration right now is Joachim Nilsson, who's obviously out until at the end of May when he's reevaluated at the earliest. Max Schneider, we don't know where he is unless you've got some breaking news for me bummer i don't <laughs> and then uh john klein uh so of the signed players or the drafted players i think those are those are where our limits are you know we may have miguel perez but uh how, how do you think about our roster starting 11
1: so i so just thinking uh overall roster um yeah we have some we have uh those uh, couple of absences with Nielsen and um Max Snyder, but I think we we have a good roster to to start the season. It would be interesting to see what happens with Barlett and uh, with Miguel Perez, but um, I think the team has good depth at every position. Maybe a little thin at um, center midfielder, but um, as we talked before, we have been using Indiana Basilev, uh, Asil Jackson, uh, Miguel Perez could fill that role too if needed. But just thinking about the projected starting 11, I have, um, I have, um, Roman Berkey, then back line I have, uh, Nerwinski, Parker, Hebert. And I have Nelson, but I think that's one of those that uh, is not locked in yet. So uh, we could see Pedro there. Then uh, I have Blom, but again, will he be 90-minute Ninety, 90 minute fit? And if he's not, will the team rather uh, have him come as a sub on the second half or just play the first half and um, play, I don't know, 60, 65 minutes and then Have somebody else come. It will be interesting to see how many minutes he plays against um, Atlanta. So uh, we're going to keep an eye on that. And then I have um, Stroud, Ostrak, Alm, and then Klaus at top. That's um, my projected 11. What about you?
0: I wish I could say that we were vastly different. I wish we could have an argument or a debate here, um, but I, I'm largely with you. I see it as as basically exactly how you laid it out. Um, I will say that I think Nelson has, it, it looks like, uh, barring anything different from Atlanta, it looks like he's winning or won that left-back job um, for now. This is just going into day one, game one against Austin. Obviously, everything can change depending on how players are in form, injuries, fixture congestion, yada, yada going on. Um, but I, it seems like he's gelling well with those other projected starters who I agree with. And I do think that we're going to have Blom start against Austin. I think it's going to be Blome and Leuven. I wouldn't be surprised if Vasilev was a 60-75th minute sub. That goes in for Blom if he's not um, if he's not ninety minutes. I think the Atlanta game will give us a lot of clarity on that. Alm is locked in at right mid, and Klaus is locked in at striker. But I'm not quite sure who's going to be where when it comes to Stroud and Ostrak, because that that beautiful goal that I mentioned happened when Ostrak was on the left and Stroud was on the right. Rasmus Alm is a clear-cut right, mid, right midfielder. I, I've never seen or heard of him playing anywhere but the right side. Whereas Ostrock, who we have predicted from the, being in that number 10 kind of attacking central midfield role, and just assumed that Stroud would then slot over on the left side because he has familiarity with there. He's played there uh, in the city preseason. He's played there with uh, New York Red Bull when he was there. So I, I could see that going either way. Kind of depending on maybe depending on the the defense, um, but it wouldn't surprise me if we had Ostrak on the left and Stroud in the middle, or you never know. Um, I, I think that's the starting eleven, but here's some wrenches that could be thrown into that. So that's a four-two-three-one, pretty clearly. I think if we looked at a four-two-two-two, then you start to introduce. Okay, do we take Stroud out and put in Joachini? Because you'd be looking at Ostrock on the left, Alm on the right, Klaus and Joachini up top. That that to me is one of the potential um, changes. So if you see a substitution, pr- for instance, uh, later in the game, if, if Stroud goes out, or if Ostrock goes out, or if Alm goes out, any of those three go out, Joachini could slot right in and turn that from a four-two-three-one to a four-two-two-two or a four-four-two, depending on uh, where our midfielders are. The other thing could be an Indiana Vasilev coming in for a Blom or for any one of our attacking midfielders, and he could slide in anywhere and slide whoever he subbed out. If, he, if his best position is central, then maybe he comes in for Stroud and Ostrock goes out wide left, or he comes in for Ostrock and Stroud stays out left. You know, It could be any of those flexible options in the second half, depending on the key to me is going to be stamina. Because uh, especially against Vancouver, I'll call that out because the, our friend on the ground from once a Metro called out that after the second half, when we started to uh, extend our presumed starters into the second half, they were gassed a little bit and Vancouver started to get on the offensive. So that starts to happen. And it wouldn't surprise me even in the first match of the season, because of the style of system that we run. It's high intensity. Guys are running all over the pitch for as long as they're on the pitch. So offense, defense, those guys are attacking the ball when they don't have it, and they're attacking the net when they do have it. So I would, I would not expect um all of these players to go 90, first of all. That's not an expectation at all. I would expect 60-minute subs, 75-minute subs. I would expect us to use our subs as much as we can. And I'm seeing uh, I'm seeing Joachini, I'm seeing Vasilev, Pedro, Jensen. And I'll say Josh Yarrow as our likeliest subs to see. Um, yeah, you know, I didn't mention Pompeyo. I didn't mention Jackson. I didn't mention Akil Watts, Owen O'Malley. We have that depth. And I think this preseason showed me that our depth is pretty quality and it can compete a lot better than a lot of national pundits are giving us credit for. So, you know, that that to me is the starting 11, some possible subs. I'll ask you, Santi, who do you think, uh, who do you think will, assuming that you're starting 11 pans out, who do you think will find their way into that second half against Austin?
1: Second half, um, I will go with, uh, with Just because um, mm-hmm. you can switch to that, to that 4 uh, 2 if, if needed. Uh, he will be, a good option or even um, what you, uh, what you mentioned earlier, he can be that like nine and a half and be behind clouds. So he gives the team a lot of options. So I think he is the guy I have uh, made uh, in that second half uh, as one of the that's one of the subs uh, that will go early on. And, and he could be one of those substitutions that could change uh, a game. If, if you need somebody to do that.
0: The other interesting thing to me are our PK takers. Um, you know, I, I was trying to, I tallied up all the goals that we scored this preseason. And the first thing that stood out is the only player with more than one goal is Indiana Vasilev. He had two total goals, but one of his came via PK and while some of these players were on the field at concurrent times, Nico Jokini, Indiana Vasilev, and Celio Pompeu all took PKs. So they all scored off PKs. We might have taken more, I don't know, but we scored off of those three. So mm-hmm. when you're talking about uh, players who are on the field who can come through in those moments, we clearly have a handful. And I have no doubt that Carnell probably gave different guys different opportunities just to see how they would um, perform in those environments. And it seemed like they performed well enough so that you don't have to rely on a Klaus or you don't have to rely on a Leuven or whoever might be the best guy if you don't have them available later on in the match because they, they are gassed and they have to be subbed out.
1: Yeah, and it's good to have uh, different options um, because, yeah, you, you never know. The, I can see this team, as you were saying, the team is going to use the five subs, um, at least in the first few matches and uh, just with the style of the team uh, you're gonna see a lot of guys um, coming out uh, after 60 70 minutes uh, getting some fresh legs so uh, having multiple options as a pk taker um, will be important because um, those uh, pks will could be one of those things that oh we'll make the playoffs just because we missed a couple of PKs in, in crucial games that could have been uh, winning the game or tying the game. So it is important to to have different options for that.
0: All right. I think that covers covers our roster that we have. I'm not expecting any different signings. We talked about a couple of the homegrowns that may get signed, uh, who are likely. I think our roster is mostly set, and it's mostly set with a couple slots left to fill a flexibility So mid season, I think, um, no matter how this plays out, I would keep an eye open for that summer transfer window. Yeah. Uh, However, however we perform, we've got room to sign a player too. We have, I believe one international slot left. We have by my count, um, a, a slight boatload of gam and Tam left to spend, uh, that leaves us with some pretty good flexibility on our cap still with that. So I like where the numbers are shaking out on that. We have U22 initiative spots left. We have a young DP slot left or a DP slot left. And here, let me add this in. Um, so the roster lock for this season is a day or two before opening day. So that'll happen on Thursday or Friday of next week. One of the things that I've been mulling around in my mind that we might see is we might see Roman Berkey listed as a designated player, and here's why. As a max TAM keeper, we are either he's either hitting the budget at max roster budget charge of 651,000, and we have to buy him down, so we have to spend an additional million of TAM, or he takes up that last DP slot. He still hits the budget at 651. But we're penalized 150000 on our salary because of using a third designated player spot for a player over 23. So depending on how you want to allocate your TAM or how you are playing with your salary, he could make financial roster mechanism sense to be designated as a third DP. Now what that'll do is remove the flexibility to actually sign a third DP. And I still haven't gotten clarity on how much flexibility you have in the middle of the season to change somebody's designation. Uh, can you actually buy them down? Because we found out last year that you can, in fact, um, remove a player's international designation mid-season. Charlotte did that with a couple of their players. The Charlotte really, rule. Yeah, the new Charlotte rule. <laughs> yeah. So if that exists, then can we buy down a player from DP status uh, mid-season, which – could start Berkey as a DP the first day or when rosters lock, and then you buy him down and you have that flexibility for the summer transfer window to bring in a young DP or a third DP. Has has anyone done that before? Have you seen that? No, I have never heard of that being done, but I wouldn't be opposed to it being called the St. Louis city rule.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Maybe St. Louis will be uh, the pioneer for, for that. Um, But like, regardless of uh, what's done with, with Berkey, uh, I like that the team will have flexibility for mm-hmm. that summer transfer, window. like um, if there is an injury or if the team finds out, um, okay, hey, we we are a team at this position and uh, we may need to add someone else. Or just the fact that an opportunity comes to sign a great uh, young player and you have a the flexibility to do it in that summer transfer window, um, I like that, that the team has yeah. um, and, and GAM left and also has those uh, U22 slots um, available, which um, that's one of the things. Um, I'm a little disappointed that we didn't use one of those yep. uh, just, just because uh, it's a great mechanism and it gives you a, a lot of flexibility with the budget. But maybe we will see that being used uh, during that, that summer window. Maybe the team, uh, when they were building the roster, they couldn't really find one that satisfied all their requirements. Um, or maybe they are keeping an eye on somebody that won't be available until the summer window.
0: And that's, I think, where we just need to tr- continue trusting the process that Lutz has I developed um, and and give... Give the players that we have an opportunity to play a few games before we start to judge anything about what we might be lacking. But you're right that it is a is slightly disappointing knowing that we have these mechanisms that can help craft a on paper highly successful looking team, um, and we've used none of them. The only exciting roster move that we made is the Tim Parker trade, where we got Houston to eat. Uh, enough of his salary that we don't have to use any TAM on him. So he's down to a max budget charge uh, because they're eating almost half of his salary. And that was an exciting move that was the trade result from the expansion draft. But I also look to Austin, who are, you know we can start to pivot into the preview for Austin or however we want to look at the first few games. Austin has just re-signed um, Sebastian Driussi as a, I think he's designated player now. Now number yeah 10. designated player. Yeah. So they've signed him through 25 uh, with an option for 26, and he's their guy. But the flip side to their roster build is that they, from what I hear, have missed and whiffed on all of their U22s. They're not impact players, but they're locked up on the roster, and so you get you get into that potentiality of if you miss on these players just because you're filling a roster slot you know that's that's a valuable slot that you don't get back until their contract's over and once it's over you know they're probably grown from a U22 and you don't have any flexibility or room to maneuver that's my silver lining of I'm okay with him waiting until he finds the right people to fill those positions because ideally you want to lock them up long term and take advantage of that cap flexibility the cap hit of only 150 or 200,000 for many, many years, and that kind of, that kind of. Before we move over to the preview, it does remind me. I was looking at the Driussi contract, and they kept saying they've locked him in long term. They've locked him in as their franchise guy. He's going to be the backbone of their team for years to come. They don't have to worry about the slot. And it got me thinking. Um, as we we look at our starting eleven, as we look at our roster, he signed through twenty five with an option for twenty six. We have numerous players on our team currently who are signed to contracts beyond that or at that. And so looking at the number of players who we have signed um, to at least 2025, we have some signed through 2026 um, and into 2027. We have Roman Berkey, Selmer Pedro, Tomas Ostrak, Rasmus Alm, and Klaus, That is minimum of four of the projected starters that we had. And Pedro is a bubble starter with Nelson. Signed through 2026 are Joachim Nilsson and Edward Leuven. Designated player, TAM player, currently injured. That's another massive piece of our spine. And then signed through 2027 are Isak Jensen and Caden Glover. So we have, and and Jensen we expect to develop and, and grow and really be a star. Caden Glover obviously has a lot of upside But that should tell you something right there, that when you're hearing Sebastian Driussi being talked about as signing to a long-term deal of somebody they've landed on, just think if we land on two or three of these players, whether it's Klaus and Ostrak or Berkey and Alm or Leuven, Nilsson, any combination of those players are locked in long-term. This team that we see right now, who we're projecting um, at least six of them right now would slot into our opening day lineup if Nilsson was healthy, that's a massive thing to consider that they're signed through 25 26 and 27 so thinking about our roster now you have to have an eye towards the future and where we're going and what this is building towards when you think of all right what if it's not all sunshine and rainbows as we go up against one of the best teams in the in the league on opening weekend
1: yeah yeah and and it may not be but um it is you have to see it as a process um yeah, the the first season, uh, you you may uh, see some ups and some downs, and maybe the team may not make it to the playoffs. But um, I think the team has has a good process going on, and and um, as long as they stick to that process and those principles. Um, you will probably start seeing the results in, in year two. I still think, and, and I wanted to ask you, since you are going to be out of town next week, um, and this is probably something we're going to talk about, now that we know the roster and we know the schedule, what would you consider success for this team at the end of the season? And at the end of, let's say at the end
0: of the regular season, what's success for you? Success to me is being in the playoff hunt by deadline day or by decision day. Sorry. I think if we're in the hunt for the playoffs, um, by that last week of the season, then we've, we've set out to do what we need to do. We're probably averaging, uh, 1.4 ish points per game. Um, we've, we've, beaten just about every other expansion team in recent history, uh, in what they are able to do in their first season. Even Charlotte fell out. Charlotte had a a pretty good on the field season last year, but they fell out of contention there in the last few weeks, Nashville and Miami in their inaugural seasons, they don't count because they were the COVID year. And even a team like Atlanta and LAFC, um, and Austin, it took to their second year. And so they, They had massive gains in what they did, but it's that first inaugural year where everybody just seems to falter. Everybody just seems to fall on their face, and it's the best that can get back up from that. But if we can start by fighting and being in contention on that last week of the season against the Sounders, that to me is the massive win that I think we need to have this be called a success and to really look forward to 24 as saying we should be contenders now.
1: Yeah, even if it doesn't go our way on decision day and we end up not making it, yeah, that's what I see as success too. Mm-hmm. Being uh, in the bubble, been fighting for that mm-hmm. play of a spot all the way to the end, uh, I would consider that a, a successful year and something you can build on for, for year two. And um, you have Austin as a recent example. They didn't make the playoffs their first year, and then last season um, they made it to the conference finals
0: exactly. And it's not going to be an easy road. Uh 538 recently came out with their odds and uh predictions based on their forecast and Soccer Power Index ratings for Major League Soccer in 2023. They according to 538 have uh starting from the top LAFC with the best odds to make the playoffs and to win MLS Cup. They have a 91% chance of making the playoffs, 17% chance to win MLS Cup. There's Philadelphia, NYCFC, Atlanta, so team we just played, team we're getting ready to play. And then uh, the next few Western Conference teams are Austin, LA Galaxy, Seattle, FC Dallas, Portland, and Sporting Kansas City. So odds going all the way down to Sporting Kansas City's 56% chance to make the playoffs. You get into the 2% chances to uh, win MLS Cup. St. Louis City SC is dead last for 538. We have a, from their prediction, a 4% chance of making the playoffs and a less than 1% chance of winning MLS Cup. <laughs>
1: who, uh, who is second last
0: and was their percentage? It's not even close like that's and I think it's because they they look to historical information as their primary source of estimating and forecasting. Um, so we we have a double whammy here of the team that didn't exist, first of all. So there's yeah. no historical record, but also a lot of our players are first timers into MLS. So You don't have a lot of with the starting 11 we just threw out. You don't have a lot of that MLS experience. Um, looking at what, who we estimated for our starting 11, John Nelson, uh, Tim Parker, Jake Nerwinski and that's it of experience in MLS. So that they have us at a 19.9, um, SPI soccer power index. And that goes all the way up to 56.8 for LAFC. But the next lowest to St. Louis is DC United with a 28.4. They're nine points clear of us. And then it gets a little wow. congested from there. So Houston is above them. Inter Miami, Real Salt Lake, going from twenty eight to thirty one to thirty four to thirty five. So no respect from five thirty eight joining uh, joining the train of national media who's giving no respect to <laughs> St. Louis City. But I still think uh, I still think our good season thoughts um, will. Will rule the day. I wonder if that
1: perception from national media changed a little bit with what they saw uh, in preseason. Do you think it can I have would be shocked
0: a if it did? I, I don't, I mean, as little as uh, anybody besides the hardcore seemed to care about preseason, um, I would doubt they took anything into consideration, unfortunately. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> You know, that does speak to how difficult our early schedule is going to be. So we play uh, Austin's our first game uh, from the Western Conference. Portland is our next opponent. So Austin, then Charlotte, then Portland. You're looking on that uh, that SPI index as the number two team in the West, uh, a middling team in the East and then another top team in the West. Uh, So they have Portland expected to finish. One, two, three, four, five, sixth in the West. So there's a there's some powerful matches that we have in the first few weeks, and I want to use this chance. Unless you have something else about the uh, overall predictions and and team, Santi. No, no, go ahead. Let's pivot to the MLS season pass, and I'll start by just teasing that the first two away matches on MLS season pass for uh, St. Louis, or the first two matches rather are free to view on Apple TV. So that means our match against Austin, our match against Portland, first two away matches, you don't need MLS Season Pass to watch them. You just need to download the Apple TV app, and they'll be free inside the MLS tile, which is pretty cool for an expansion team, and especially for uh, St. Louisans who may be either on the bubble about getting MLS Season Pass, they want to try it out, but they still want to support City, they want an opportunity to get a footstep in. I think it was pretty genius to – and they've only announced the first few weeks of the free ones. But I think it's pretty genius to introduce City this way, um, especially in their away matches.
1: Yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, for anybody who is on the fence about buying the season pass, it would be a good opportunity to uh, check out um CBS. To see them during the away games i think that may also resolve uh, one of the things that has been discussed like how are like bars going to to show games um still don't like, know uh, but at have, least have for, figured out right uh, at least for those first two that will be free uh, i think they will be able to at least do something and then uh give them more time to to figure out how yeah. that's going to happen. at least from the Saint Louis perspective, but but yeah, I know that's that's a big problem. But but yeah, uh, and it will also showcase uh, the new team, the new kids on the block, to uh, to any MLS fans um, out there that may not have access to uh, the uh, the MLS season pass.
0: So, have you checked it out yet? Have you downloaded it? Looked around? What are your thoughts on the uh, MLS season pass overall? That's been available since February first. Yeah,
1: so uh I I didn't uh start looking at it until um this past weekend, but um so far I I like what I have seen. Uh I like the fact that uh that it has um recaps of all the games from last season. At least the I was looking at Austin and uh, uh like the last couple of nights I have been uh, like watching the recaps or of the first four or five games of their uh, last season, so I like that, and and just uh, content from from different teams. And actually, um, I made it. I, I made it on on one of the well, the back of my head. Made it. Yeah. Uh, on one of the pieces of content from, from CDSC, they had that press conference uh, or part of the press conference after that uh, Leverkusen match, and
0: yeah, obviously. They
1: as a, as a good, I don't know if this is good or bad, but I, I sat on the first road that day and and uh, obviously, uh, you can see uh, me in the back, uh, I mean my my head, my my back uh, towards the camera. So I was like, oh, hey, that's me. so um but yeah, and just looking at all the city content, uh, i I look at some of those pieces. Um, some of them were uh, some of the podcasts. Um, that um the, the city voice the the, the the city voice um that the team has published uh but uh, it was good to uh at least see parts of those um because obviously seeing the video uh also like kind of gives you uh, more information on like yeah you can hear the player but also like if they are smiling or how they respond different questions so um but yeah so far i'm i'm really impressed with with the content uh, also uh seen some player profiles for different teams uh for the teams that have been uh, longer in the league seem like uh, pieces of history when when they won uh trophies or also i think i haven't looked at this section but uh, i think there was a section that had like um like uh, epic games or classic games um so it, i think the league and apple are putting together uh good content um probably after year one you're gonna see a lot of things um from different teams different pieces so i'm excited i think this will give a lot of exposure to the league especially anybody um around the world who wants to uh check out mls there will be some free matches that they can look at if they don't have the mls pass so i think at the end it's gonna be good for the league even though there's a lot of talk about, oh, this MLS season pass is too expensive and it's more like a barrier instead of giving exposure, I think. Overall, it will give more exposure to the league.
0: Santi, if you don't become the the Trent Krim of St. Louis City, after they start showing all the post match interviews and everything, I think it'll be a travesty. <laughs> I mean, every team probably needs their own, but if you're not ours, I'm gonna be highly disappointed.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that.
0: Well, I think that I think accessibility is the name of the game for what they're doing, and the content that they've put out is is pretty great. First of all, like I, I get what they're doing with preseason when I see the stuff that they have put out. Like there is a level of quality control that does exist. It's clear that it's uh, up to Apple standards from the production to the, the way you can access each thing. So that the way they group things with their tiles and each club has their own tile that you can click into and get through certain um, rows and columns of things. And I, I do really like the fact that um, my favorite things on there were the club profiles and the drone videos. So I, I've had a chance to look through most of the club profiles and all of the drone videos. Um, I was underwhelmed by St. Louis City's club profile, but you're an expansion club; you don't have history to tie back to, so yeah. it's not too like it's not too surprising. Like there's not a whole lot that they can do, but they really hit it out of the park on their drone video. So seeing um, seeing Suzanne Collins in City Park, kind of. Highlighting all of the facts and then talking with Carolyn Kendall, going over like the the history behind and, and touring all of City Park and getting to see that as the cornerstone of what our team is doing and has done so far. It really made it seem like, OK, this is the cathedral, like for all of us to build what we're going to off of. So everything that everything that's come before has basically been to to build this palace. And now the future is going to be everything that comes from it. So I th- I think you know that that was one of the better, if not the best, drone video that I thought they had out there. And I really appreciated the the detail and uh, uh, work that went into some of the club profiles. Colorado Rapids had like a uh, chapter by chapter history that included some of their supporters and their supporter groups. New York Red Bull had a really good job. Nashville SC was pretty long. You had some teams phone it in, um, you know, there were some one minutes out there, but overall, I think if your if your club had a good history and something to harken back to and you were proud of it, that shone through pretty well on some of these club profiles. And I do like that you alluded to the classic matches. Well, they have classic matches. They have icons. You can go in there and look at Landon Donovan. You can look at Clint Dempsey. And you can El see pibe like, Valderrama. Yes. You can see their contributions to MLS. Like everything that you need to know about those that came before is captured pretty well here. So from a primer perspective, from a we're launching a service with no live matches yet, this gives you a pretty um pretty deep look at everything as a starter package to me. This is this is the MLS season packs starter package, and it gears you up for. Uh, crash course in MLS history, who are these clubs now and what do I need to know going into, uh, you know, they got that MLS uh, review that's in the, the year in review 2022 to get you kind of up to speed. So there's a lot of stuff from the past. There's a lot of stuff about who the clubs are, where their homes are, all the soccer specific stadiums. There's the lead in from last year. You can watch all the full matches from last year, which is pretty cool. That's what I've been using to go see guys like uh, Nico Jokini, Indiana Vasilev, John Nelson, John Bell, like looking at MLSsoccer.com for when they played, how many minutes and kind of going to see some of their highlights. That's cool. And so I think those kinds of things are what gives me a pass uh, or what enables me to give them a pass for preseason because the infrastructure is not there. They have that high standard of quality control. Like, I don't want to necessarily seem like an apologist for Apple because they don't need it, but I can understand it. Like I get it. And they're starting it they started it in the middle of preseason, the service, and they're starting kind of their focus on live matches. They don't want a dry run. They don't feel they need a dry run of preseason because that's not going to provide them with the long-term answer to test anything out. So all of their, all their infrastructure isn't going to rely on uh, quick kind of mobile setups at Coachella or in Florida. They need to get these things into stadiums and, and stress test them there. So preseason doesn't do them a whole lot of good. That's the... That's the, I can understand it perspective of me, not the hardcore fan. I want to watch all my preseason matches, but I'm overall very happy with the, uh, I I would say investment, but I didn't really invest in it because it's part of my season ticket. But maybe if I look at it from that perspective, I can sell it to my wife that this subscription is actually pulling a hundred dollars away from our season ticket, makes our season ticket look better. Maybe I can sell it that way. Hey, that's yeah. It's a good way to look at it. Either way, though, I I don't think it's too expensive when you compare it to and I've I've had this conversation quite a bit um, because there have been conversations about how, like you said, it seems like it's exclusive, like you're not providing access or accessibility um, because of what people are used to. And that's where you get into the conversation to me of is this more accessible or less accessible and what are you comparing it to? Because A, to me, there's no, there's really no service this can be compared to that exists right now. When you're talking the holistic league, no blackouts, anywhere you can view it, uh, and the level of off-the-field content as well, this has never been done before. So if you're looking at it holistically, trying to compare it to any one other thing, there's no apples-to-apples comparison. You're talking about if you're not an Apple TV Plus subscriber, you're paying $14.99 a month or $100 for the year. If you are an Apple TV Plus subscriber, you're paying $12.99 a month or $79 a year. And if you're a season ticket holder, you just get it. And so you're comparing those prices to like the Cardinals or the Blues, who are on Ballet Sports Midwest for now until they go bankrupt. <laughs> and you're having to pay for a cable package. So what's a cable package going to cost? I looked it up. It's at least $85 plus a lot of regional sports uh, fees that go into that. So assuming you just want sports, you just want your local team you're paying an arm and a leg to watch the Cardinals and Blues, and you only have about three services that can truly provide that, because even Bally Sports Plus, their streaming service, they don't have Cardinals games yet on that. They haven't reached an agreement with Major League Baseball teams except for maybe two or three, hmm. Kansas City Royals being one of them. Cardinals are not one of them yet. So there's no... And those are one team. So there's no kind of direct comparison even to MLB TV, NBA season pass, NHL center ice, those have blackouts to your local team. So if you want your local team, you're out of luck. Yep. If you want national team games on ESPN and TNT and all these other stations, you've got to, again, buy some kind of a cable or streaming package. So it, it all depends on, I kind of think, what your what your lifestyle is in regards to what you watch on TV and what makes sense because I see a lot of value in it, as obviously the soccer fans we are, but I also see it as a more easier sell if you really explain the details and some of the comparisons to some folks who are maybe on the fence. And, and that's not even considering that Apple has given two main ways to kind of subsidize this for you. One is Apple throws around Apple TV Plus free uh, free offers for like three months like they're candy. You buy anything Apple, you sign up for anything Apple, they're going to toss a three-month promo. Sign up for the free promo and then sign up for MLS Season Pass. It works. They've advertised it as such. The other is family sharing. You can family share your iCloud account, and if you sign up for, if one of your friends or family members especially signs up for MLS Season Pass, hop on their family sharing with them, and then you have access to that. So subsidize it a little bit. There's a, there's a lot of options out there besides just the fact that it's a pretty good value for what they're going to deliver in the unique way in are delivering it.
1: Yeah, and I think... you. You just said it no blackouts i think that's uh that's key and access to any game um if if you if you don't want to see st louis but you want to see other other teams or like what i have been doing this week you want to check out austin and what they to play their key players and how they did last year you can do that so uh, i like that too
0: so let's wrap this one up because God knows we've been talking for a long time. A little long. God bless anybody who's actually stayed with us on this one. (laughs) Uh, I would love to hear if you made it to the end of this. Um, I'm going to try to put uh, timestamps on social media with these uh, because I think it's needed. Let's finish on a light note. Uh, The MLS kits have started to drop today. Uh, City's notwithstanding because City's home kit was dropped uh, a couple months ago our away kit drops on Friday. Friday. So the spirit kit will be revealed on Friday. Um a, a, I assume it's available for purchase as well when City Pavilion opens at 10. Uh but Friday for us. Today there were a handful of other clubs who released some of their kits. Did any stand out to you or either in a positive or negative manner?
1: So um I'm going to be honest, I didn't look at any of them. I was a little busy today, so I haven't really looked at any of them. So um,
0: I don't really have an opinion for those. So I'm gonna leave that one up to you. I'll tell you who should look at. Uh, go look at Austin FC's of all the teams. You know we're we're gonna see them uh, in our first match because they'll wear these, but theirs is. I don't I don't want to say they took the biggest gamble on theirs because they had that iconic kind of stripe that went with their first. What they did with this kit is when I first saw it, I thought they took their last striped kit and cut it up into pieces. And then they had somebody sew it back together with one hand. Because all these stripes are misaligned, they're different widths, and they just don't they don't fit together. And it, it's supposed to symbolize, among other things, different cultures or different areas in Austin coming together. Um, so you're not, you're not oh, the same. Wow. You're not, not a straight line. Like they they had that kind of like detail, you know, how clubs have those, um, long and convoluted explanations of what their, their stripes mean or something like that. So I, I thought wow. that was a, to, to me, it was a miss just from a visual perspective. Like I get what they're going from. And when they explain it, um, yeah, not, not too big of a fan. Cincinnati was another kind of a miss to me. Um, it looks like some, and I, I can't unsee this now, but somebody took a picture of Cincinnati's river kit that's blue and it has this, um, well, kind of like a river coming through the middle uh, horizontally. Somebody overlaid that with a slice of bacon and it makes it look like <laughs> it is just a dark blue slice of bacon slapped on that kit. And I can't unsee it now. That, that, that one's a miss to me. Some of the winds though, um, well, some of the boring ones to me were NYCFC, Columbus Crew. They were, you know, they might look cool up close and have a couple of close designs, but they fall into that trap of when you see it from a distance, it just doesn't look like anything special. It's a kind of like a solid color that nothing, um, none of the really accents will be visible from more than uh, a close-up. Some of the winners, though, to me were the New England Revolution. I really like theirs. They've got a modified... Uh, a modified sash that the, and maybe it was the fact that I looked at their promo video before I looked at their kit promo video was pretty sweet. They joined a few other teams who their kits are trying to either stamp out bullying, stamping out, uh, or, or helping raise awareness to anti-cancer initiatives or mental health initiatives. A lot of clubs are going that, that type of, uh, grassroots organic, um, shining a light on marginalized communities. And I, I really enjoy that, including the revs who they took a, like all kinds of words that really were, you know, they like cancer or uh, bullying or um, theft or something like that. And they took red, red paint brushes and they just like kind of slanted it. So cut it out. And that's what their kit is kind of looking like. So it's got that stripe to it. That really looks like you're taking a paintbrush and you're, you know, slapping something out. That was cool. Philadelphia Union, I think, is my winner. Um, I they look like uh, somebody juxtaposed the Philadelphia Unions next to that that screenshot of the Simpsons intro that has the clouds. You can see the mm-hmm. white and the blue, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what it looks like to me. The Union kit looks like the the clouds at the beginning of the Simpsons. So that was. Uh, and I, I, have no idea if that's intentional, but somebody said, oh, it's because, you know, Ben Franklin was flying the kite in the sky. I was like, that seems too convoluted. Hmm. To, they're, they're Shoehorning something in here. The coolest thing they did though, is they used like some secondary crest. So they just have their snake now as their crest instead of the full union crest hmm. made me immediately think that there is hope to get that secondary city crest on a kit at some point in the near future or maybe we will see it on friday Ooh, that would be something wouldn't it that would be something
1: yeah but yeah maybe the team will wait for that until next year but but yeah i'm I'm surprised they they didn't check uh matt baker's schedule for the unveiling on of the second kit
0: i forgot to send them my flight info so i'll be at the airport when they uh when they unveil it i i could try to put <laughs> it closed and make it to uh, city pavilion when they open at 10 and j- hope they have it for sale but i would uh, be starting off my vacation with a very um angry spouse and i'm not gonna risk that one of i'll just course, get the away kit course. when i get back
1: yeah i, I just i just while we were talking i checked the, the austin kit yeah yeah i'm gonna be thinking i, I think I, i'm gonna be thinking about all these stripes um until um until we play them uh, on the 25th uh, but yeah the new england looks great uh, but yeah great great reviews uh, so uh if you made it through the end of this post this podcast uh you're gonna get uh some good reviews from matt baker on on the
0: kits of course no kit can uh hold a candle to the city kit i'll, I'll throw that shameless plug for our own team because that is a gorgeous kit and i think they nailed it time well spent on um on the way that turned out and it, it's funny to me because i i keep that in my closet and it truly epitomizes <laughs> the color of it like I, every time i walk by it and there's a different lighting that hits the an angle of light it legitimately looks different all the time and in that knowing how we've got to this point with our uh, city red that to me is just like the coolest understatement feature of that kit
1: yeah 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 The the team did a great job with with The kit.
0: Um, um, Predictions on the spirit that, kit, though?
1: Uh, first, a surprise. We haven't seen any leaks. Um, the team has impressive. done a great job with that. Uh, very impressive. But um, obviously, the, the cues kind of point to um, gray or silver, but I'm still keeping my hopes
0: uh, for a blue kit. It would be interesting. I I think it's arch steel. I think they've dropped enough hints at this point between uh, that sweepstakes picture that they released where they showed the underbelly of the canopy and hearkening back to when they revealed city park and talked about the canopy being um, uh, arch steel or in homage to the steel of the arch. And then uh, in their video that they released this week with, uh, with Blome, they had that one tweet front and center calling like, is, is this the Arch Steel away kit? I think that was a little on the nose for. Yeah. What we can expect. yeah. So but we'll see. We'll see. And by the time a lot of people listen to this, you might've already seen. So you can let us know if we were right, wrong or just comically comically off. <laughs> we'll see. We'll find out on Friday. All right, Santi. Anything else you got to add? Uh, no,
1: no. Uh, for anyone who is uh, still there with us, thanks for uh, listening, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, having more podcast, more podcasts through uh, the season, and hopefully uh, talk about uh, victories and good results. But uh, we'll be here for for anything that happens with uh, CDSC. Oh man,
0: it's finally here, isn't it? Like we are. Yeah. We are, by the time this is released, less than 10 days away, and then, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to kind of pivoting our entire podcast, our entire conversations to recapping matches that actually have an impact into regular season, previewing what's to come, talking over our players, uh, highlights, lowlights. Uh, it's it's an exciting time. It's what we've been looking forward to for years, like it's truly here, and I'm just giddy with excitement.
1: Yeah, but it's so exciting and it's finally here.
0: But that's for uh, another week or two for now. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Thanks for staying with us. Uh, I'm Matt Baker and this is Santiago Beltran. We appreciate your time and we'll talk to you later. Bye. See you guys. Bye.